You're listening to Almost Cooperstown, the place where near baseball Hall of Famers live, wait, hope, and die. Since 1876, more than 19,000 players have set foot on Major League Baseball fields. There are 235 actual players that have been elected to the Hall of Fame, and we think there's room for a few more. Welcome to Episode 2 of Almost Cooperstown. Furthest from almost. I'm Mark. And I'm Gordon. And this week we're going to be discussing the guys that put together a career that puts them the furthest away from Cooperstown. We've been looking at the guys last week that were the closest and really deserved to be in there. This week we wanted to take a look at some of the guys that, they were just bad. Well, and they were bad over a long period of time. Ten-year careers, right? So to play ten years in the major leagues means somebody gave you a contract, they asked you to come play for them. These guys, we found, are really, really bad. They, they, they have historical bad statistics. Yeah, and one of the things we were really looking at for this is, is career war. We wanted to look for guys that somehow over ten years, it means managers kept putting you out on the field, and over your career, you still cost your team's wins. That's like That's not an easy thing to do. Right, having a negative war for your career means your team would have been better off had you not played. <laughs> so to do that for your entire career and get a job every year just amazes us. So let's let's go around let's and go around. talk about some of the players that uh, that we have on there. You go first. So I actually have a first baseman, which you would. It's actually harder to find than you would think, just because if you can't hit as a first baseman, they're getting you out of there. You're not going to find too many guys that were first basemen just because of their glove. You have to at least be able to hit a little, hit a little bit. But there was a guy who did play, started in '74, played till '85. First baseman for the Detroit Tigers, the Oakland Athletics, and the Mariners, Dan. Meyer, who over a 11-year career put together the blistering war of negative 6.4. Wow. Yeah, that's just bad. Wow. I mean, and, and you look at the career stats, and you immediately start seeing right. He was a career 253 hitter. As a corner. Okay, so he hit a lot of home runs. No, he had 86. Okay, he drove in a lot of runs? Uh, 459. I'm sure he didn't steal a lot of bases, and I imagine the glove was a steel glove at first base if he's got well, that Well, with his career 61 steals, I don't think anybody would consider him blisteringly quick. Wow. wow. Yeah. And it wasn't like he wasn't playing. He played over his 162 game. Like, he averaged 162 games. Like, he played a good amount in these seasons. Yeah, I noticed his career uh, on-base percentage was 290, or even less than that. What was it? It was 293. 293. Yeah, that's just rough. Like, if you're not even getting on base three out of ten times, you're just, you're really hurting your team. Now, the only interesting thing about Dan Meyer, if you would have you know, is that there's another Dan Meyer who also had a career negative war. No way. Yes. Pitcher for the Florida Marlins, Dan Meyer, who over a only five-year career, still managed to put up a negative P-war of 0.9. So I guess if your name's Dan Meyer, you probably shouldn't go into baseball, it would appear. I mean, you should because you're good enough to be a professional. You just won't be very good. <laughs> well, I'll, uh, I'll throw a guy at second base um, and uh, or shortstop, but maybe we should skip the middle infielders and because there are so many middle infielders, right? So I was going to throw throw a second baseman. I, I, you know, there's a lot of short stuff. We'll just move over to third base, you know, mm-hmm. the other corner position, because like you said, it's hard to be a guy in, in, at a negative war playing a corner position. You're supposed to bring a bat and RBIs and whatnot. And at third, you're supposed to bring a glove. And I remember a guy who played uh, in the 1970s. Uh, he managed to play for the uh, Cardinals at a time when they weren't any good. In fact, the year that he came up, they, uh, they were particularly bad, and they went to the World Series two years after he left the team, but he did play 11 years. His name is Ken Reitz. 
Hmm. And I remember Ken Reitz playing in the major leagues for a long time, and he was just a third baseman on, on the Cardinals. But you look at his career, it doesn't look that bad with having a 260 career batting average. And then you start looking at the numbers that define corners, okay? He had home runs, but 68 over 11 years. I, I mean, that's less than seven a season. Yeah, that's, that's really <laughs> it's rough. barely more than six a season. Maybe he had a high on base prep. No, 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 the percentage, no, it was 290 for his career. <sighs> Oof. Slugging at 359 for a corner. Um, he did win a gold glove in 1975. So you got but he only won one. That's kind of weird. Yeah, yeah. Well, that's at a time when uh, I think there was a third baseman in Philadelphia who was uh, cleaning up with the gold gloves <laughs> in, in Mr. Schmidt. So, uh, Ken, and it was really hard to find corners, by the way, right? There aren't that many that have negative but, career wars. And that's what we're talking about here when we're saying that these guys are some of the worst of all time. Obviously, if we compared them to a regular person, they would make us look like chumps. But, I mean, in comparison to his peers that played in the major league, I mean, the advanced stats don't lie. Ken Reitz struggled. <laughs> Ken, Ken Reitz was not a good ball player. So let's um, so let's move around uh, mm-hmm. and come up with some of the outfielders here, and we'll go back to the uh, middle infielders at the end. So uh, what do you got for outfield? So I had to kind of go back for this one. He's not somebody that I had heard of previous to kind of going out and find him, but, you know, he was born a few years before me, and he started playing well before I was alive. Started playing in 1934. Tuck Stainback. Oh. And I'm sure you have never heard of him. I have never heard of Tuck Stainback. Makes me think of the Oakland A's guy, Terry Steinbeck, but I guess there that would well, put him in. Well, unlike Mr. Steinbeck, he uh, actually had who had a positive war. Tuck Steinbeck's career war is negative 6.2. Oh, my goodness. Which is rough. Now, he was an outfielder, so you know you expect them to have a little pop, a decent average. Career 260 hitter. Oof. And you're like, oh, well, maybe he hit some home runs. He wasn't playing in the dead ball era. This was the 1930s. 17 career home runs. How many years did he play? Uh, 13. <laughs> 13 years. That's... He had entire, he had seasons where he didn't hit a home run. <laughs> Just think about that. <laughs> think about that. Didn't hit a home run for a season. You know, maybe got on base all the time. 259 career average with an on base of 284. I mean, just... Yeah, and how do you get guys? I, I guess today would be really hard to last that long because they would just find a cheaper player. Exactly. I mean, in those days, maybe you know you just wouldn't. You wouldn't way. be able to survive having a season where you played some of the numbers that he played and put up the numbers that he did. That oh. this is rough. I found a guy. Um, also, I didn't see play, and I had to go back to the stat pool to come up with a guy who had a career negative WAR of two point eight, mm-hmm. and that's Bob Kennedy. Uh, you know, he's not one of the Kennedy families that are uh, the political family. This was a baseball player mm-hmm. uh, who played sixteen years in the major leagues and accumulated a whopping total um, of sixty-two home runs Oof. over his entire major league career. Um, so that's. That's pretty bad. 254 career average. That's That makes it worse. Okay, that makes it worse. He had 514 uh, RBIs, and he finished his career in 1957. So he played from 39 to 57. That's a long time. And he missed the years during the war, so he didn't play in 43, 44. So, you know, he got a little robbed of what people would probably consider some of the prime years of his career, but, I mean, still. I love looking at a guy's stats when I see his entire career, and he never led the league in anything. So, you know, he, he, he didn't, not even in, you know, 
grounding into double plays or something silly like There's that. There's nothing. He was like entirely unremarkable in a sense. How did he, how did he get maybe that's 16 how, years in the major Maybe league? that's how. The managers just forgot he was on the team. <laughs> Now, there's, there's another outfielder, um, and I think you might have seen him play, um, and his son is in the major leagues now. So. I mean, that makes it easy. Obviously, we're talking about Dante Bichette. Dante Bichette. <laughs> did you see Bichette play? I did see Bichette play, yeah, of course. Um, he had a couple unbelievable years. So how does he get on this list? Well, he has a career war of 5.7. That's pretty low for an outfielder. I mean, it's not that low, but when you start looking at his statistics, it starts being unbelievable that's it as low as it is. I mean, this guy was almost a career 300 hitter. He had a career 299 with 274 home runs. So this was a guy that, I mean, put together, when you look at some of the seasons, I mean, look at his 95 season for the Colorado Rockies. He hit 340 with 40 home runs in 128 RBIs, led the league in slugging and total bases that year. He finished was second in the MVP voting that year. This is a four-time All-Star, and he still only managed 5.7 career award. Well, one of the reasons might be, and you look at the 299 average, that's one thing. The on-base percentage is at 336. I mean, I mean, did you just never walk? I mean, I, I wonder how many of those walks would have just been straight-up intentional walks. Too. And particularly in Colorado. That's exactly. A, that's a great point. But he only had a slugging percentage of 499, so I don't know how you can have 274 home runs. And a slucky percentage of 499 playing in Colorado. So, you know, you, there's a Colorado, Colorado bias there, but the guy had what might look to, in the old days, pretty good stats with 1,141 RBIs, but he obviously was a terrible fielder. I mean, his career fielding percentage was 974. Yeah, yeah. That's, that's rough. I mean, he was just a butcher in the field. I mean, he had 80 errors in his career as an outfielder. And he played 14 years in the major leagues. That's... I mean, that's – you're looking at four or five errors a season minimum. That's brutal. But I never thought of him as as bad a ball player as the career war would suggest. But, I mean, I, I think it's important when you're saying that war does take into account how good – I mean, you have to be an absolute butcher in the field for it to really hurt you. But if you are – I mean, a guy like Dante Bichette, despite all that he brought offensively, Really wasn't that much better than the average player because he was so bad defensively. Yeah, that's you know, and it just gives you a run when you look at the WAR statistics, a barometer as to how did he perform against his peers. And we, we really you know like to look at that because uh, I would have not included him in that until you start looking at the more advanced stats. Um, so what do you want to do? Do you want to go back to the middle infield? And, let's get, let's get back to the now? let's get back to the middle infield. Yeah. So um, a second baseman, um, and and I found many shortstops. I found nine shortstops. We could have made a team of shortstops, yeah, basically. <laughs> and just a couple of second basemen. And I put up this guy above. I had two guys at second base, but this guy had a career negative WAR of five point two. I hadn't really heard of him. Ed Romero. He played. I certainly haven't heard of when him. When I was watching baseball, came up in seventy seven. Didn't play in 78 and 79 in the major leagues, I don't know why, uh, and managed a 12-year major league career, hitting 247, which for a middle infielder is not that horrible, with a whopping eight home runs in 12 years. It's pretty rough. Eight home runs in 12 years. I mean, what were you doing out there? Um, he had nine stolen bases <laughs> for his career. So he wasn't hitting home runs. He wasn't stealing bases. Doesn't sound like he was doing much. Well, his on-base percentage for a middle infielder, you'd expect to be good. At 298, it wasn't. <laughs> he slugged at 302. I mean, that's just – the question is, is – and he didn't play a lot of games. He never had a season where he played more than 116 games. Um, but he did play 12 years in the major leagues. So that's 
you know, pretty pretty amazing that a guy who had no distinguishing stat. Now I'll throw another guy out at you that uh, was a, as a Met fan was a guy I watched play a lot, and I I didn't think he was that bad, but these stats you know suggest otherwise with a career WAR of negative six point nine. That's Doug Flynn, Gold Glove winner. I don't think so. Uh, yeah, you know, you're right. He did. He won a Gold Glove in 1980. That's very good. So, yeah, he finished his career in 85, uh, came up in 75, and again, logs 11 years in the major leagues with a snappy 238 career average. Oof, that's brutal. That's the lowest we've seen so far. And how about, look at the on-base, 266. I don't, I don't think I've ever seen anybody with a career on-base you know, for that many years at 266. I mean, that's hard. I mean, you're like you're barely getting on base. And One out of every four times, ugh. And he played a lot of games in the, in the middle point of his career. In the mid-70s, he paid 156 games. 100, that probably was more an indication of how terribly bad the Mets were at that time. That he got to play that I, but if you're thinking about it, it's almost more interesting to compare. You could argue that Doug Flynn was probably more detrimental to his team than Ed Rim- Like You have to wonder, who was more detrimental to your team? Doug Flynn put together less career, uh, less negative career war over more games, but he played a lot more. Romero somehow managed in way less games to be even worse. Who was more actively detrimental to your team? I don't know. They both kind of suck. I imagine the management would say we could have lost without you. As well, so <laughs> it wouldn't really matter. So um, if we fly over to shortstop, um, there's a lot of guys. And that, that kind of makes sense historically when you think about you know statistics like war because such a defensive-minded position, that would be the place where you probably would find the most guys that you know just managed to keep a, a job because they managed to be able to field the baseball. Um, so a bunch of guys, um, we can kind of go down the list, but the top guy, and I watched him play, and I guess that's why I put him in there, was Tom Verizer, another Cardinal. I sure hope he didn't play with Ken Reese. That would be a horrible idea. <laughs> <laughs> I'm guessing those teams that if they were both on them, they were not very good. <laughs> Let's see. Uh, Verizer uh, actually came up in 73 and 84. He was, in fact, a teammate of Ken Reitz. So um, those mid-70 Cardinals. No, I'm sorry. I'm wrong. Verizer played for the Tigers. Oh, uh, okay. Indians. I guess I thought he was a Cardinal. I'm wrong. So, uh, But he played 1,000 games in the major leagues. That's not an insignificant number of them. Hit 241 with a 283. That isn't an insignificant number. (laughs) Um, No awards, so he had no gold gloves or whatnot. Um, But he did play a lot of games for a lot. You know, 128, 97, 125, 130. I mean, when you're playing those many games, to me, that means you're the regular starter. I think that's that's an important distinction. That this guy, despite being as clearly not good as he was, still managed to con a team, essentially, into making him their everyday starter. Well, and that just tells you, I'm I'm sure if I go back and look at, um, and um, he played for the Tigers and until 77 and then moved to the Indians. I don't remember either the Tigers at that point or the Indians being any good, and that kind of makes sense. Which makes sense. You've got your traditionally lightest, the most acceptable position on the field, really, for a batter to not be performing up to what people would consider major league standards just because of the old way of perceiving shortstops. That really wasn't changed up until you got to the 90s and you started having the guys at shortstop emerge as, you know, Power hitters, yeah. So you're, I, I, I could imagine history, which is why we found nine of them. History just littered with shortstops that really couldn't hit, and they probably weren't as good as fielders as people thought they were. They were just kind of crappy baseball players. Well, let me give you the names and see if you can you name any of these guys that you, that you have heard of. Gary Sutherland had a negative three point eight. No, yeah, I didn't really know him either. Dal Maxville. I watched play for the Cardinals back in the 60s. Well, so. If you watched him play in the 60s, I definitely yeah, haven't heard yeah, of yeah. <laughs> no, just saying that I remember his name. Johnny LeMaster, I remember, was a giant. Hal Lanier was a manager later in his uh, in life, was a also a giant. 
Um, I didn't think he was that lousy at 10-year career, point nine. Ricky Gutierrez. I, I mean, the name sounds familiar, but I don't know if that's a good thing or a bad yeah, thing. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> there was a brave name, Andres Thomas, who played five years with a negative 5.7 career war in five years. I feel like that's almost remarkable because I mean, he's one of the rare cases where it was just so abundantly clear how bad he was. We're like, no, we can't we can't let him stay in the major leagues for that long. And, and a name, um, Chris Gomez uh, played 16 years with a negative 1.4. And a guy that always is the top of the list that I see other people write about bad baseball players, a guy named Juan Castro. Um, he played 17 years and had a 5.4 war. So th- th- that's just 17 years just impresses me to be that bad for that long. Like the, to be like such a like your average war per season is just so bad. You're barely helping your team win a game per year at that point. So could you find any catchers? Because that's it's you would think you would find catchers with low war on one side because they didn't have to hit necessarily as long as they were good receivers. But positionally, the thing you have to remember is kind of like shortstops is you have to be so much worse than the average catcher in order to accumulate a negative career war because their position's already not expected to be hitting. So there is a guy, actually. He's actually a current player, which is a bit unusual that there's somebody active going on right now. And I know he does have the reputation for being a fantastic pitch framer, which is something that war cannot encapsulate. It can't capture that. And if anything, that's going towards the pitcher. But he currently uh, played last year for the Texas Rangers, Jeff Mathis. Oh, yeah. Yeah, he's been a... Career backup, right? He's I a career he- backup. He's never been the, the lead guy on his team in terms of getting the starts, but over a uh, nine-year career, he has managed to put together – or I'm sorry, a 15-year career starting in uh, 2005. He's managed to put together the blistering war of negative 1.5. And I mean, the dude's a career 158 hitter. No, 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 no way. There's no way. Wait. Oh, no, I'm sorry. 2019, he was a 158 oh, hitter. Right, right, right. He was a career 195 oh, hitter. Oh, he still doesn't hit that much. <laughs> so he's still below so the Mendoza line. They should the Mendoza line. They should call it the Mathis line. I, I feel like Mendoza's a bit more of an extreme example, but still, I mean, the guy's hit 195 for his career. That's just... I mean, he played 86 games yeah, last year. He played 86 games and hit 158. He had, he had 228 at-bats and hit 158. I don't even know how you'd do that. He had 36 hits. And I'm sure he's a really nice guy. Oh, yeah. <laughs> and the thing is, is I know defensively yeah, he's yeah. a good catcher. That's why he gets put in. I, know, I, I, I want to say it was for the Angels, but I remember even hearing it talked about that he was being played over some of the other catchers because the pitchers like pitching to him, because well, he's good at pitch framing. And, and, and he pitched uh, – he caught for – the Diamondbacks uh, in 17 and 18, and you think about catching Greinke and some of these guys, and that they like throwing to a, a, a catcher like that. So and that's so, one of the other reasons why. And so, you know, the, the, the stats don't always tell the full story of the player, especially when you're looking at a guy, especially when you're looking at very specific positions, like a catcher. Right, right, right. So pitcher, there are um, a lot of pitchers. Um, pitcher war is different, and we've kind of talked about that a little bit. Uh, we'll, we'll speak about it a little bit more. Um, but there's a lot of guys, and so I, I, I threw a list out there. Why don't you you know, pick one on there and talk about them? Yeah, and so I was actually able to find one. Thankfully, uh, unlike some of the other guys on this list, he's not a Met. Uh, <laughs> we're, we're talking about uh, somebody that they actually got to face a fair bit, and I'm pretty sure they probably beat him up quite a bit. It would be Randy Lurch. He's a lefty, I think. He was a lefty. He pitched from 75 to 84, mostly playing for the Phillies, but then also mixing in some seasons for the Expos, the Giants, the Brewers. And, I mean, not an 
awful career war compared to some of the other guys, but still a negative 2.1 career war. I mean, 60 and 64. I mean, this is where it gets about 4.53 ERA. At a time where that ERA was very high, right? You were pitching to lower ERAs at that time. I mean, this is really the damning thing for him. A 1.51 whip. Yeah, they didn't calculate whip when he was pitching, so he no. didn't really use stuff like that. No, but th- they probably should have, because he would have pitched a lot less than no, if he had. He just knew he walked a lot of guys and didn't strike out a lot. Yeah, that's rough. <laughs> yeah, he was, a, he was a pretty lousy pitcher, uh, I remember, but um, not, didn't realize he was that bad. So uh, another guy on there I'd like to talk about is a guy who pitched for the Yankees, uh, and, he, and he didn't quite pitch 10 years. It was hard to find pitchers, so he pitched nine years in the major leagues. And he's a guy named Mike Kekich. Um, yeah, you probably never heard of never him. Never heard of Mike Kekich. So Mike Kekich, you know, was lousy, you know, and uh, his his career stats uh, sort of you know, stand up with a negative five point one WAR. He pitched in the seventies, came up in sixty five, pitched until nineteen seventy seven. Had a couple of years where he didn't pitch at all. Um, the stats are not that crazy with a four five nine ERA and thirty nine and fifty one. Um, you know, just a, a pitcher who pitched a lot of games for a lot of, at that time, those were the bad Yankee teams. So he sounds like a bad pitcher on a bad Yankee bad team, Yankee but team. like other than that, he sounds pretty unremarkable. Well, he's not unremarkable because he's famous for one thing that I remember very, very well, and he had a teammate, another pitcher on the team named Fritz Peterson. Uh, now, was Peterson better or worse than Kakesh? Peterson was better. Okay, so was Peterson was actually pitcher. good. He was he was actually a pretty decent pitcher, um, but what they did during, I think it was the 1973 season, is they traded wives and families during the season. Wait, when are you saying what I think you're saying? Yeah, yeah. The uh, the kids were not uh, traded for future consideration. <laughs> Literally, Kekich ended up with Peterson's wife, and Peterson ended up with Kekich's wife and their families. And I think to this day, Peterson and Kekich's ex-wife are still married. Uh, a Kekich got, got, I guess, got divorced. Or uh, but still, that is insane. Yeah, yeah. And that was back page news. And again, at a time when the Yankees weren't very good. The Yankees were going to get good kind of after those guys left. And I never really connected. So, like, the, what, they, they were, like, the original uh, wife swap? Uh, yeah, yeah. I don't know what happened. But that's, th- those two guys, you know, that, that, that situation was really something uh, to, to remember. Um, another guy um, that I put on the list... Uh, because I, I remember what he, what happened to him. I didn't realize he was this bad at pitchers. A guy named Jack Hamilton. Never heard of him. Okay, negative career war over eight years, uh, negative 4.4. What I remember about him is he was the guy on the mound in 1967 who hit Tony Conigliero of the Red Sox with a pitch, and Conigliero was the home run champion as a young player from the year before, and he got this nasty, huge black eye that Sports Illustrated put on the cover, and all, the only cover shot was this gruesome picture of this guy, and unfortunately for Pigliari, he was never the same player after that. Because he messed up his vision. Correct. correct. Oh, wow. And and, and for, for me... You know, uh, Jack Hamilton, I didn't realize he was, because he's more famous for hitting Conigliero than... It sounds like he's more infamous than anything. Exactly. No, no, that would be true. Um, Anybody else on the list to pique your interest? I think there's one more guy you have to mention, especially as a Met fan. Uh, Didn't play the 10 seasons, but he had a stretch that is so legendarily bad, I feel it kind of has to go mentioned here. That would be Anthony Young. Oh. 
I feel like it's a little unfair mentioning yeah. it, but he lost twenty-seven straight deci- or twenty-seven decisions in a row. Yeah, I remember that. And and, and you you like you watch the game, listen to the game, every game going. Maybe he'll maybe he'll win this one, and somehow something bad. And yet he wasn't that bad a pitcher. Like, no stuff. When you look at his season in nineteen ninety-three, he went one in sixteen for the Mets. You're thinking this guy must be terrible. He had a three seventy-seven ERA. Yeah, I, yeah. He, he just wasn't that bad, and yet he just couldn't win. And it was the, the team was bad. And, uh, <laughs> That's what happens or whatnot. But to lose 20, even though wins don't mean that much, losing 27 in a row, yeah. That's, I, I don't know how that wouldn't get to you mentally. That's, that's like, tough. you would, I feel like that would just, I mean, I remember when I was pitching, losing one in a row was yeah. rough. <laughs> losing 27, that would be impossible. Uh, you'd go insane. You'd yeah. go absolutely insane. And, and, and uh, interesting, um, I threw a reliever on there. You did? Uh, yeah, also a Met uh, for part of his career. Uh, I don't remember. But he had a negative war, and it was hard to find relievers that had negative career war. I think just because you're not going to amass that enough playing time to really get that much of a negative war as a reliever. You have to be legendarily and, and bad. I remember Doug Sisk, at least people that were around when he pitched. And he was like a, seemed like an okay pitcher, but the stats don't back that up at all. <laughs> and, and he was pretty lousy. Uh, finishing his career, I think. I think in um, 1991, mm-hmm. uh, so he paid. He only played nine years because for some reason, 89, he didn't play. He must have been hurt or something like that. But the stats wouldn't necessarily suggest a negative war. Uh, but he must have been very ineffective with 22 wins in his career, cool. 327 ERA, uh, you know, 33 career saves over nine years. Just nothing distinguished at all. Um, other than he didn't really help his team. His career was actually his career was 3.1. So, oh. so he's, but still, like for, for a guy that played as long as he did to do as little as he did, that's pretty impressive. And you always talk about you know the whip for a pitcher, you know, a reliever shouldn't be high. His whip for his career. His career was one point five one. That's that, that's to me. That's a nightmare. If you're gonna have a one five one whip as a reliever, you're basically saying, on average, as I, you're gonna bring me in for a clean inning, I'm gonna spot the other team two base runners. <laughs> yeah, I think that was Doug Sisk. I mean, that family. So, yep, yep, that's kind of what happened. It's like jury. It's like familia on steroids. Basically, <laughs> give you the heart attack every time the guy steps out there. So pulling some of these stats, you know, over time, you know, we're not going to talk about, you know, these lists of guys, but some of these players that we talk about are on there. Um, but you'll notice a couple of names. Doug Flynn was on the list of all-time bad guys, as were some of the guys that we talked about. Um, uh, you mentioned a couple of guys, uh, you know, did you mention uh, Betancourt as a guy who was historically bad? I didn't think he was until I actually looked at the number. This is weird because you don't think guys from this era would really last around, but there's Unanetsky Betancourt who's managed a blistering negative 2.5 war over his career. And then there are guys that even played more than that. They were like, I, I remember Ty Wigington. I remember Nephi Perez. I remember Tony Womack. I thought Tony Womack was a good player. Me too. Me too. But then then you look at his career stats and he put up 2.3 war with 4,900 plate appearances. Like, that's just... Yeah, and Willie Montanez is on that list for guys, you know, that have been around a while and he had a great afro. I remember that. But I don't remember him being that bad a player. But these advanced stats sort of, you know, point out that, yeah, he he was pretty lousy. And I think that's just like at the end of the day, you're you're just going to see less and less guys that are going to float around like this. I think unlike the, the Hall of Fame, which you could argue you're going to see expand more as guys over time are just putting up more and more impressive seasons, it's less likely you're going to see guys that put together careers like this because they're just not going to last. Well, that, that's it. And, and the thing is, is the longer you play in the major leagues now, if you play 10 years, they're going to have to pay you. 
whereas you can replace him with a young player who won't be any worse by the advanced stats, and you're paying him much less than that. So I think it's going to be much more difficult for that. I think you're going to see these, like, unless you get those weird one-off cases, and and those are going to be the fun guys to talk about. These guys are going to look back 15 years from now and be like, how the hell did he play for 10 seasons? So we, um, we talk about famous players, and as we close this episode, you know, next time I thought we might talk about some of the more unusual plays and players that played uh, Major League Baseball that aren't necessarily in the Hall of Fame, but they have Hall of Fame-like incidences or things about their career that make them really famous, um, but doesn't necessarily, you could have things be in the Hall of Fame that are uh, occasions but not necessarily players. Oh, I mean, certainly. I mean, you have to look at back from the only pitcher to throw back-to-back no-hitters. That would be one of them. To the dog that got in the box score. Yeah, well, that's not a major league guy, though. So. That's not a – well, he's a dog. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, there's some really great stories. So uh, we'll, we'll tackle that in our next episode. Thanks again for listening, everybody, and we'll talk to you next time.